Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you help me as I try to portray or explain all the things you've been revealing to me over the week about this story and this different view of Christmas and your coming, the Advent, and what that means and what can mean to us today. In your name I pray. Amen. So, through the eyes of the angels, the Christmas story. So something my youth already really know of me is that I love Broadway plays. I love seeing musicals. And uh, it's just something about the theater and the songs and the music. And you guys know I love music. I love to sing. So my first trip to New York, my Aunt Edith buys us some tickets to go to Broadway, you know. And I was just so excited. But she goes into that place where you get same-day tickets. You just get the leftover tickets, right? So my very first show, we're at the very, very top of, like, a four-balcony theater. So we're so far up that, like, the little actors look like little tiny ants on the stage. <laughs> and, like, you can barely see them. Like, even if you had binoculars, you could barely see these people moving. And I'm still excited to be there, but you can't really tell what's going on, right? The sound is all muddled. You can't really hear anything. And it's just, I was excited to be there, but I had no clue. I had to watch that play again because I had no clue what happened. The next play we saw, um, Les Miserables or something like that, we were in the very, very front row. Like, so close, like, sweat is flying on us. And I'm, like, looking up actors' noses. Like, it was, it was incredible to be that close, but, like, I only saw, like, this little slice of the stage. Like, everything happening over there, I couldn't see, because all I could see was these actors standing right above me. And it was, it was cool, but, yeah, I, I didn't really know what was going on there, too. I, I haven't seen that one again, but I'm pretty sure I know the story, but I only saw this part of it. So what I've learned is the best seats to see a play is the front row of the very first balcony. I don't know how many of you guys do the theater, do shows or concerts, but that is the best seats because you're there, you're a little removed so you can see the whole stage. The sound is like engineered to be perfect right there so that you get the proper echo from the back of the studio and all the sounds coming at you. And I think I've only had those seats like maybe once or twice in my entire life. And one of them was a couple months ago at Women of Faith. So I have to thank this wonderful woman here for rescuing me and my mother from the very top balcony of Women of Faith. I mean, our seats were at the top. Like, even the screens, that they have these huge, big monitor screens so you can see the actors, even that was small from where we were sitting. And my mother and I, like, we went up all the different flights and then had to climb all the way to the top, and, I mean, it was ridiculous. And I was still with my cane, you know, because I hurt my back and my asthma inhaler, and I'm like crippled going all the way to the top. And then just randomly we bumped into you guys and you rescued me. And you took me to a box on the first row, the top of the, that first level, and it, it was beautiful. I could see the people. I could see their faces. And I could see the monitors, and everything sounds better from there. And I think... That metaphor, if, if you're not catching me, it says a lot about how we see the Christmas story. There's all these different points of view, and I think it's one of the reasons why we're doing this series, because there's different points of view when it comes to the Christmas story. And I picture us today, you know, here, 2,000 years later, we're at the top of the balcony. You know, we can hear the story, but we really weren't there. You know, we can kind of hear the music if we listen really closely but it was long ago, and we struggled to understand what this means, something that happened so very, very long ago. And the people who were there, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men, they were in the very, very front row. 
I mean, they were there, and they experienced it, but they only got their role. I mean, they didn't see the whole picture. You know, Mary understood what happened to her, and he was talking about that last week. You know, an angel came to her and told her this incredible thing would happen, and then she was pregnant for nine months, and then she had a baby in a stable, and, you know, people are coming and saying, your baby is special, and, you know, she treasured these things in her heart, but she didn't fully understand yet. You know, that would take some time. She didn't have the full picture. And that's why I'm excited about this week, because the angels, they're at the front of the balcony. (laughs) They got the full picture. You know, they were there from the very beginning. They saw it all playing out through history, all the way through. And then when it gets to the Christmas story, they're this driving force. They're the ones who get to bring the message to Mary and then come to Joseph in a dream and, and then appear to the shepherds and, you know, and even help the wise men out as they're discovering it. They saw it all, and they really understood So I think when we hear their songs and we hear their messages, that there's a little something extra that comes from their understanding, their point of view of the Christmas story that that we can hear now if we listen closely and and look and understand that when they brought their messages, they were looking at a bigger picture. So first encounter during the Christmas story comes in Luke chapter 1, very first appearance. I don't know if texts are going to show up behind me, but if not, you can follow along in your Bibles. So we got an angel appearing to Mary in Luke chapter 1, starting in uh, about verse 26. Yeah, here we go. So the angel shows up out of nowhere and says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And obviously Mary's a little bit confused. And so the angel has to go on and reassure her. And goes on to say, um, let's see, where is it? Oh, here, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so a baby will be born and will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. You know, what's more, your sister, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age, People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And I think the uh, first angel, his appearance is all about that. Like He ends with it like, for nothing is impossible with God. Now we say that, right? Because we've heard it and we've read it in the Bible. Nothing is impossible with God. and It's a statement of faith for us that we believe God's going to get us through everything. But it's different when an angel says it. Because they're not just saying a faith statement. They know. They've been there. They've seen it all happening. They were there when Abraham's wife, Sarah, gave birth to a son. Even though she was barren and like almost 100 years old, this miracle child, they were there. They were there when Moses parted the Red Sea and when Joshua fought the battle of Jericho marching around and walls falling down. I mean, it was crazy. And they were there. They saw that. They were there the day the sun stood still during a battle so Israel would have a chance to win. They were there when a little boy named David brought down a Goliath, a giant with just a little stone. Crazy. They were there when Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. They were probably holding the lion's mouth shut, making sure he survived the night. They saw that. And they were there when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace and lived to tell about it, walking out without even the scent of smoke on them. 
They witnessed it all. And, you know, they mentioned Elizabeth, just a, not even a chapter earlier, giving birth to a son. So when the angels say, for nothing is impossible with God, they know. They speak from experience. Because they were there. And they saw it. It's not a statement of faith for them. It's a statement of reality. Nothing is impossible with God. And I feel like it's one of those phrases that we say a lot as Christians and yet struggle with. Nothing is impossible with God. And yet, but this is really hard, and I'm not sure this is going to happen, but nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. So I want you to hear that message from the angels, but also I challenge you to look around and try to see when that, I'll call them like the angels of knowledge, that angel of certainty is speaking to you in your life. Okay? Like if you think back towards your life, and these are obviously something that's much easier to see in hindsight, because when you're there, it's really difficult. But when you look back, do you see those impossible things that have happened in your life? Because miracles still happen. You know, sometimes we don't see it and we don't notice or we don't remember, but they're still happening. And sometimes you hear those stories of the impossible happening. And people love to talk about them like, um, like those people who pray really hard because they're just they're out of money and then a check arrives for the exact amount they need to pay their mortgage so they don't lose their house. Or, you know, um, I heard a story about like 3ABN when they were still forming and, you know, they were really, they hadn't reached their budget and they were going to have to close down the station you know, but they prayed really hard, and then one donor gave this huge amount that they needed so they could continue. You know, and like, seriously, nothing is impossible with God. And once you've experienced one of those things, it's easier to believe it, you know. And so we just mostly hear stories. And I don't know, how many of you guys can think of a time in your life where something impossible happened? Got a few people, you know, and, and those are important to remember. I think... Something is happening right here, right now, that I'm hoping you guys are involved in. But um, Kim, you know, was talking about adopting a family, which our church is doing for Christmas. And I was up here in the front row, and I was hearing about this family, and I'm like, you know, this family, they need beds for their kids. You know, they're struggling to make ends meet, you know, but their kids are sleeping on the floor in this one-bedroom apartment. And, and so I'm, like, trying to chase down Kim after church as she's walking, and, and she ends up talking to, to Lou. I don't know if Lou's here today. Um, and he had the same impression. These kids need beds. And he's already doing, he's talking to people. How can we get these kids beds? And he gave me a call last week, said, we're, we did it. You know, we, we're going to get the beds, and we found the beds, and would you be willing to buy sheets? And so we brought the sheets today. And I don't know how much this family knows yet about what's going on, but you've got to believe we're the impossible for them. They weren't expecting it. I mean, they've been praying. I'm sure they've been praying, God, help us. We're at the end, you know. It's the end of the year, and we don't have the money, and we don't have the food, and we can't provide for our kids the way we should. Help us. Save us. And someone who was listening and someone who saw was able to pass the word on so the impossible gets to happen for this family. We're that impossible that God is using to give these people a gift that they've needed that will hopefully strengthen their faith and give them hope that God can help them get through this time, that they can make it and tomorrow is going to be better. 
if we keep helping the impossible happen. Um, a small miracle that happened for me last week. Um, you know, I'm here part-time, and it's, it's been difficult, you know. Jeff's been very supportive of me in ministry, but, you know, I really should be doing, you know, at least a part-time, half-time, or full-time job, and it's been very challenging, but I feel so blessed here, and I love it here, and I don't want to leave. And um, last week, I got an affirmation. And I don't know who gave it, and I don't know who's responsible, but I know that Joel came and found me and said, somebody's given you a gift. You know, it's not much, but they're willing to help pay for what you do here so we can give you a little bit extra. I almost started crying because it was this little affirmation of what I do here. That God wants me to stay here, at least for now. He doesn't want us to, to suffer and, and go into debt or anything crazy, but that there's a purpose for me to be here. And so one of you, whoever of you, thank you for being that affirmation for me, for being that little bit of impossible in my life, in my calling here. So I challenge you, those of you guys who've already found the impossible, write those down. Keep them in a book that you can look at when you start to forget that nothing is impossible with God. And for, for those of you who don't have it, even if you don't have your own power yet, talk to people, find the impossible, and look back and remember and hold that book close. You can look in the Bible, but I feel like sometimes it's more meaningful when it's something that's happening now. Because it's easy to say, oh yeah, God did the impossible then. But you guys need to know that God does the impossible now. And then keep your eyes and ears open for how you can be the impossible for those around us. Because other people need miracles too, and sometimes we are the ones to provide it. To be God's hands and his, his voice, you know, to help those. First appearance, nothing is impossible with God. We get to the second appearance, and this actually happens in a dream to Joseph in Matthew. And the angel appears to Joseph and says, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this is what occurred to me as, as I was talking about Joseph, because there's a couple different directions I could have gone with this. And at the end of the day, I feel like what the second angel came to do was to show Joseph a glimpse of a bigger picture of what was going on. Because, I mean, if this Joseph and we didn't have a through the I didn't have a Joseph really, he was in a tough spot. You know, his fiance just got pregnant. He didn't really know what to do about it, and you got it. That's embarrassing, and you know, I'll just divorce her quietly because I don't want her to get killed. Because seriously, she could have been stoned for this offense. You know, and he's focused on on his life and his fiance and what that means. You know, and trying to figure out how to be honorable, but you know, to to do the right thing. You know. And then the angel comes and says, "This is not about you. <laughs> this is not about a fiance who's been unfaithful. This is about something much." much bigger that you've got to understand. This is about something that starts at the very beginning with Adam and Eve and a promise that God gave you that every generation since has been waiting to be fulfilled. A Messiah, a Savior. You know, centuries they've been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And, and God continued to reveal his, pro his promises and the prophets, you know, David and Isaiah more and more promises looking forward to this day. 
And the angel said, that day is now. Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace. Don't you see? This isn't about you. This isn't about your fiancé getting pregnant and, you know, wanting to do the right thing. This is about a Savior. This is about Jesus. This is about the day you have been waiting for coming now. This is so much bigger than you can understand. And I think there are times in our lives where we kind of lose sight of the bigger picture. You know, I think it's very easy for us to become me-centered. You know, this is something like every kid can tell you. The world revolves around me, right? Like all of you, you're just here for my enjoyment. You're here to take me places and give me things and make me laugh. You know, it's, it's about me, right? Totally. She's nodding. She doesn't understand what I'm saying. And as we grow up, theoretically, we grow out of that. And we understand that it's not just about us. You know, other people, they have lives and they have problems. And it's not always about me. When someone cuts me off in, on the freeway, it's not because they hate me personally. You know, it's because, well, who knows? They have their own life and their own problems and their own concerns as they're driving down the freeway. And this used to blow my mind when I used to take airplanes because you see all the houses, you know, underneath you, these tiny little houses and tiny little cars going down tiny little freeways. And I used to just sit there and go, oh, my goodness. Every single house has people with lives just like mine and problems that I don't know and I don't understand. And I can't even comprehend that. You know, just like a tiny little bit of God's view of things you know, and just the heaviness of that, of a world, and you know, and even in this own church, I don't know your problems. I don't know what you brought here with you today. I don't know what's going on in your lives, but I know that each of you has your set of circumstances in your lives right now. You can be in a really great place, you know, where you're excited and positive. You can be in a really bad place because things have been really hard recently. We all have these ups and downs in our lives, I think it really helps sometimes when we get bogged down in, in me and my world to take a step back and look at this bigger picture of what's going on. You know, and sometimes we only, we only get a glimpse of that to try to see things through God's eyes and, and what's going on. You know, what's God doing in the world today? You know, a God looking for us, a God loving us and saving us and and using us to help other people. I had a big story I was going to tell here too, but I don't know if I have enough time. But about how we don't realize how our lives can make a difference in the world. I'll just sum it up for you really quickly. Um, my freshman year in high school, we had lived in Riverside for a really long time. I was excited about starting high school, and, and my dad got a really great job offer in Maryland. Oh, I was furious. And we moved all the way across the country with like two weeks' notice, you know. And I had to start high school in a brand new school. And as any kid will tell you, that's rough, starting a new school, period. And, and I'm starting a school in an Advent school where all these kids have gone to school together for years and they know each other and I'm just this new kid who's there. Really upset and really depressed and just in the corner and sad. <laughs> and so we get there. We end up only being there for one year. And uh, circumstances being what they are, we move back to California. And in this one year that I was in Maryland, I met someone, this guy who was really uh, just outgoing. He was really loud and, you know, always joking around with people and being really silly. And, and um, 
I was just this quiet kid in the corner. And for some reason, he just started talking to me and, and you know, confiding in me about his girl problems and his family problems. And his parents are going through a divorce. And, you know, the girl he liked really didn't like him back. And all these problems. And, and I just sat and listened, basically, for a year as things got harder and harder for him. And while he was still outward, very happy and whatever, I could tell he was really struggling. And all I really did was listen for a year. And at the end of the year, you know, you have the big yearbook signing. And he signed, and I didn't read it till later. I don't even think I read it until we got back to Riverside, where um, he told me that he didn't think he would have made it through that year if I hadn't been there. You know, that I was the best thing that had happened this year for him. You know, a friend that came out of nowhere who just listened and let him be honest about what was going on as all these tough things were happening. And I actually bumped into him at our beach vespers a few months ago. And uh, he's a teacher in Loma Linda now, and he's married. And I mean, he's a happy guy, and he's, he's great. And I don't know all the things that were involved with us moving to Maryland and all the different factors, but I know that this one year that I moved across the country, I made a difference to this guy. You know, that he had something he needed that God provided for him in an unexpected form. And maybe if it hadn't been me, it would have been somebody else. But I'm glad that it was me, you know, that for a couple minutes there, I got to see a bigger picture that didn't have to do with me being depressed and mad at my dad that he moved us across the country, you know, with like no notice and all the friends I left behind. It wasn't about me anymore for that one minute. It was about something bigger that God was doing in our lives. So what's your role in this bigger story? Can you take a step back and look what's going on in the world around us? about the people you're interacting with every day. Can you ask yourself, just a minute, am I working towards a goal? Am I working towards building God's kingdom? We're talking about this in Sabbath school today. Bringing God's kingdom here today. Or am I just trying to get by? Am I trying to survive my drama and the hard things that are happening? And things do get hard. And there are times in our life where we're just trying to get by. But sometimes, even when we're trying to get by, if we can take a step back and see the bigger picture, it makes it easier to get by. Because it's not just about us. It's about how God can use us, even when we're not in good places. And I was not in a good place in D.C. My dad will tell you that. You can ask him afterwards. And God still managed to use me in this horrible, horrible place that I was in to make a difference. The bigger picture. Third appearance. Angel Gabriel appears to the shepherd and says, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. i got to tell you, I've heard so many sermons preached on this. So I'm going to tell you the sermons I'm not preaching today. Just really quick. Good news and great joy. You know, what is this good news that's going to bring great joy? It's a a sermon about the gospel and how it's really good news to us today, you know, and that if we're telling the good news right, it should be bringing great joy to us, to the people we're telling it. Great sermon. I've heard it before. It's wonderful. To all the people, not just for us, but for everyone on earth, that's also a great sermon. I'm not preaching it today. And these names that they're calling Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, you know, all these different things that Jesus was when he came. And that's a great sermon, too. Also not preaching it. 
And you will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And how you can find the most precious things in the unexpected places. And said, I'm going to focus on this, the grand finale. The angel choir appearing and singing. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Now, um, I looked at this verse in a lot of translations because the verse I remember and I've memorized as a kid, I don't know, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? That's what in the songs and stuff, goodwill to men. And, and this doesn't say goodwill to men. It says peace to men on whom his favor rests. And I was really confused by this. I'm like, goodwill to men and on whom his favor rests. Those are completely different statements, you know? Like one kind of implies that um, the goodwill is to everybody, and the other implies that his goodwill is only for some, right? And so I, like, I called my Greek professor. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was doing everything trying to solve this mystery, like what's going on with this verse? You know, why is it translated this way in some Bibles and this way in other Bibles? You know, what's the real definition? My Greek teacher actually wasn't a whole lot of help. He's like, yeah, they translate it both ways. The Greek kind of allows that. He's like, but there's a message in both of these that you can say. Both of these definitions have something to say. So this newer translation, to men of goodwill. goodwill. You know, in that case, we can say that those who choose not to respond to what God is doing in the world today will not have peace. Not because God doesn't want them to have peace, but that because they are not responding, they're not accepting the good news, they don't, they don't have it. They need it, but they don't have it. The good news, remember, is for everyone, to all men, but they're choosing not to respond to it. So they don't get the peace that comes from receiving that news. And they're missing out. And the other translation, goodwill to men, suggests that regardless of the human response, a positive goodwill has come to all because of God. Whether or not we know where it comes from, God has sent this peace to us, this hope that we have that no matter how bad things get, there's something that we can look forward to, something that we can hold on to, something that miraculous happened on this day, on this day of Advent, the arrival of this baby that changed the world. In either case, God has done a great work of grace for all of us, and we must respond to it. So let me ask you this question. Are you experiencing peace? In your life, do you have peace? You might have to define what peace is, but I think it's that assurance a calmness behind all the emotions that you know things are going to be okay. Peace that comes from hope and faith and understanding. You know, from this bigger story and that God, nothing is impossible with God. Do you have that peace? And if you don't have that peace, how can we help you find that peace? How can we help you grow to a place where that peace is something that resonates with you, not something that comes and goes, but something that you get to carry all the time. You know, because that's our job. 
That's what we're trying to do here, all the elders and the deacons and the Sabbath school leaders, you know. We're here to help you find that, that you can take it and that people can see that you have that peace every day, wherever you go, that calm assurance that comes from knowing God. So that's step one. If you don't have the peace, we need to help you get it. If you do have the peace, are you contributing that peace? Are you giving out that peace to people around you? Are you sharing that peace and helping bring peace on earth? Um, we're going through Matthew in the youth young adult class. And we just finished the Beatitudes last week. And one of the, the verses is talking about, um, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, the people who bring peace, they're the ones who experience the kingdom more because they're contributing peace to around it. They're, they're ending the conflicts and they're, they're showing God. So are you contributing peace? There's um, a very simple song. I know it used to be one of my mom's used to be favorite songs. I don't know if it is anymore. Called Let There Be Peace on Earth. And I want to share that with you today because it has a very simple message, but I think it's what I want to leave you with today. That all peace starts with you. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to continues, this time of Advent, the celebration of the coming of our Lord, that every time you see an angel in a nativity scene or one of those decorations that is the angel floating above the manger, that you remember what the angel's message is in this Advent season, that nothing is impossible with God, that there is a bigger picture that we are a part of 
of God and this universe and his plan for our lives. And that let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me and our contribution to that peace. So that I hope you take that angel's message, that you hold on to that angel's message and you reflect on that angel's message during this season. Every day to to see how you can add that to your life. So 